0: Yo, peace, everybody. Welcome to Bootstraps. I'm your host, the Nefri Essien. Bootstraps is a new podcast series that chronicles the lives of black men that have quote-unquote made it and shares their story with the rest of the world, hopefully inspiring another generation of brothers who are out there trying to do the same. I'm excited to bring this project to life. It's something that really speaks deeply to me personally. Um, My whole journey has been about trying to figure out how to make it In the face of adversity, never giving up and never losing optimism and joy while trying to fight along that way. And so, it's inspiring to me to try and bring these other stories to life to hopefully then inspire other people. And that um, there's other folks out there, other black men in particular, are trying to figure out a way to make it in this world that they aren't beaten down, that they aren't um, cynical. You know, that they don't lose hope on about what it is that they can achieve in this life if they're, if they're able to focus and persevere. It's not a given. There are odds against you. Um, Their discrimination is still in place, but you still have a chance. And so if you have a chance, how do you figure out um, how to find your own way? So with this first episode, I'm really honored to be able to share the story of BJ Jacobs, um, a dear friend of mine who also have a lot of personal and professional respect for And you're gonna hear an account in BJ's story of a man who had been seeking to find his own path and his own journey to kind of define himself and really understand what life meant to him. And right when he was getting ready to embark on his journey and start his freshman year of college at Yale University, he found out that he had gotten his high school girlfriend pregnant. And so then he was faced with this Big decision in how do I move forward? How do I be able to provide? How do I kind of show up in life the way in which I need to show up? And go off and do the school thing, and then you get to learn so much more about this amazing man who's end up turning into um, a great father of of two uh, young men, um, a great husband, um, a great entrepreneur, and uh, really just a great account of. Someone who's pulled himself up, in air quotes, by his bootstraps, along with the support of an amazing community of, of family and friends along the way. Thanks for joining us on this journey. Yo, so it's good, man? How, how you doing, BJ?
1: I'm doing well, enough. Good to talk to you, man.
0: Yeah, brother. Yeah, it's good to uh, have you on here. So, yo, why don't you um, tell everybody, like, what your name is and what it is that you do? Sure. My name is uh, BJ
1: Jacobs. I go by BJ, full name William Jacobs with the government. I uh, run a small private investment firm uh, looking to acquire business and, and ultimately operate it as CEO. Uh, yeah. So,
0: yeah. So entrepreneurial in nature. That's what's up. Have you have you yeah. always had like an entrepreneurial streak in you, or is this something that came about later on? You know,
1: that's a good question. I I I think it always sort of resided in me. I think more as a rebellion against the idea that I was going to turn into my father, <laughs> <laughs> which is not a bad thing. You know, my my dad had a long career at uh you know in corporate America and. Um, yeah, obviously I had the beneficiary of, of a lot of his success, but, um, I just, uh, didn't know, didn't like the idea of going to the same place, wearing the same thing every day for, you know, decades on end. So uh, my first job out of college, out of school was pretty entrepreneur. I, I was, uh, basically a, a financial advisor, meaning I had to build my own book of business, um, and go out and knock on doors and talk to business owners and that was the itch that, that that started it all right there.
0: Hustle, right? You know what I mean? It's like yep. grinding. So so if you take a step back, like this whole idea of being in corporate America for 40, 50 years wearing a uniform, doing that whole thing that uh, you know, it's not not necessarily the most inspiring, like that didn't that didn't appeal to you. That wasn't like who you were. You're you give, give the people a sense of like, like who are you? What makes you you?
1: wow uh i i think it's i'm someone who likes a good challenge is how i would put it so i I just i I have thought long and hard about what it is i want to do when i grow up like i even when i was like 10 11 i knew i just wanted to do something in business and i didn't know what but i was just really exploring a, a, a lot of different things and I had the opportunities, I think, to go a lot of places, see a lot of things, explore a lot of careers through, you know, parents' networks and stuff. But I, I have always, I've never sort of been the one to, to take a a like a like a someone's pathway and just apply it to myself. Right. Um, I I always try to try to put my own spin on things. So if like if I see something that I want for life and there's a defined path there, it's like okay, well. Is there another way to do it? I think that's just sort of how I am by nature. It's always like a good challenge, even, you know, in a lot of ways. So I think that just applies to school and career. I just never wanted to be someone who um, did what everyone else was doing. I'm right. just not sure where exactly it came from, but it's just, that's just <laughs> how I operate in a lot of spaces. Yeah,
0: yeah so, you, I mean, you blaze your own trail. Have you, when, when you were, you know, growing up, and I think we're similar in a sense, I've always thought about the long game. Like Mm -hmm. ever since I was a kid, like I was always, you know, thinking about the the long game. And while I was thinking about the long game, I never really saw, I saw careers where it's like, yeah, I have an intellect and the skill set to do those careers, Mm -hmm. but I never really saw them being a place that would be welcoming for me, like me bringing me like who I am as a person and where I come from. Did yeah. do you feel like that had anything to do with you, like wanting to blaze your own trail? Well,
1: I, I think it had more to do with I think my upbringing. So more background, my my, I think my my parents were very much sort of. Um, my dad was in the military, so he like he 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 was he he mm-hmm. basically grew up in Detroit, Michigan. Um, got a bunch of uncles that. Um, I never met. They died before I was born, and um, he saw a pathway to stability in just his own life. He was—he's was the kind of guy who did great school and everything like that, but wanted to get out of a situation that he didn't think was best for him. So he—he he and another one of his brothers both went to the to the to the armed services. One branch, one went to Marines. My dad went to uh, Air Force, and. That sort of foundation has always stayed in the household in terms of like being mad strict, like having to find times and places to do everything, Mm -hmm. how to do things, how to think about things. So much so that for me growing up, I felt like I was constrained to like, I have to do it his way or this way. And I think that's sort of the rebellious nature I was talking about. Like, that's where that comes from is like, gee, I, I bet there's more than one way to skin a cat. Right. So let me just do that. Like be su- be as successful as you know I want to be, and perhaps in some ways as successful as my parents wanted me to be, but not follow those same like not feel like I have
0: to follow a rule book. Right. Right. Um, Give us free. Yeah, yeah I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean,
1: I, and, and that's not to say I don't appreciate like the the the, the struggles and the sacrifices that. My folks made, but um I sort of said, I sort of always thought like the point the reason why they did those things is so I would have the ability to do what I want to do, uh which has never really been the case for people that look like us, right um so it seemed like a wasted opportunity to not take advantage of it
0: yeah when not... when when did you when did you find? The ability to appreciate what your parents did, like when you were in it at thirteen, and they were hella strict, like were you appreciating it then, or did you come to appreciate it later?
1: <laughs> I think I didn't appreciate it until I got out in the world of my own, right? And so, so I, I actually, um, I had, a, I had a started a family really young. Uh, I had my first, my first child at eighteen, nineteen years old, actually, while um, in school, and. Found myself in a spot where I had to start making adult choices, like maybe earlier than I I ever imagined I would, but and probably before I I, I was really ready to do so fully, but had to make those choices um, for myself and for what I wanted my life to look like, because um, there's nothing <laughs> life dependent up upon me, right? Like, right. Right. Um, so. I think that I, I I I've always sort of felt like I had a responsibility to to something and someone, and 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 I didn't feel like if I wasn't making the choice, then who was? And if someone else is making the choice for me, then am I being responsible? Like, am I holding up my end of the bargain? Am I? That's like what's my duty as you know a man. To myself and the people who I'm supposed to be, you know, ultimately leading and guiding, bro. Right. Um, I don't know if that answers the question.
0: But... Yeah, no. It's just, so it's like when you when you got some real responsibilities of your own, you realize like, all right, look, here's a here's a tangible situation. Like it's this isn't theoretical. This is real, and I need to find a way to provide. And you then came to appreciate, kind of the structure and the, the way which your parents went about raising you. That, that's what I heard. Am I playing that back right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like, all right, so you're out there and you gotta make decisions and um you don't have a framework, right? Initially, most I think most folks who either start a new job, whatever that new responsibility is, your first responsibility is is a, is a quote unquote, adult. um, there there often is not a playbook. And so you go back to the the people who influenced you, whether it's parents, teachers, whatever. Yeah. And you try to take those those teachings. And sometimes they they resonate with you, sometimes they don't, right? Like sometimes yeah. it's just someone how, how someone, you know, raised you or taught you just you don't necessarily you may not necessarily align directly with those values, but it's at least a starting point. Yeah. Um so I think I appreciated having um a good starting point. I think for like how to think about things, even if I were to come to different conclusions and those in the like the, my decision making at least had a framework to how to think about things
0: yeah no i think i think there's I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, you know, and I think sometimes when we're younger right and we don't we don't know any better, um we're like you know mom and dad, grandma aunts, whoever it is, you know just putting putting knowledge in you here and trying to share you know, what they've learned through living in this world. They're like, yeah, 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 but you don't really understand me. And then you kind of <laughs> go out, you know, you know, here it is now, you know, my current situation, you know, I'm, I, you know, I, I run a pretty big desk, you know, I have a, I have a great job in corporate America. Uh, I manage a portfolio of brands and I have a team of people who report to me. And uh, all of this stuff that's, to be status in this world that couldn't be any further or farther away from where you know my mom and grandma come from you know they came from rural arkansas they were sharecroppers and domestics and you know my mom when she got to california became uh you know she got into uh early childhood development and uh she was a preschool teacher and things of that nature uh but still nowhere near corporate america and stuff that they taught me is very relevant now. Like, very relevant now. Like, I'm sitting in situations at work. You know, sometimes yeah, I have 15, 20 people around the table, and I'm trying to solve a problem. And wisdom from my sharecropper grandmother. You know, I don't say that condescendingly. I say that with, like, pride and love and respect. You know, but wisdom from this woman who... At 17, 18, I was like, yeah, I love you and respect you, and I never spoke back or we talked back to her. But I was like, yeah, I'm trying to go do this other thing that's so different, you know, and I thought that I was going down this path that was so different, and the path may be different, but truth is truth and game is game. And so when yep. stuff gets real, it's funny how you can go back and draw on that wisdom of those who came before you.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, 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 agree.
0: So let's pull it back because I want to I get people your stories. I know you played – Ball, right? So you played ball in high school and in college and you just dropped this bomb a few minutes ago. So at nineteen, eighteen, nineteen, <laughs> you had your first child. Like talk me through that.
1: Yeah, so I played football from the age of eight up and through college.
0: And you wasn't no hitter though.
1: well I I think I hit one too many people and I had one too many concussions I gave them out and took some myself um, yeah so I played I played safety in college I played yeah I I fell in love with football specifically college football at a very young age and I knew like I was going to play on Saturdays like not Sundays didn't care about the NFL I wanted to go do something different but I knew I wanted to play college football and I think in high school I made the decision like I'm going to play Division One. Like, I'm going to do what it takes
0: to play the big-time college football. Yeah. Where did you and play high school ball?
1: I, uh, I was a public school in a uh, suburb of Washington, D.C., in Montgomery County, Maryland, okay. uh, walking into my high school. And it was um, – I think it's it's always been a uh, pretty diverse school um, and didn't necessarily have a, a big-time – you know football reputation like the the school was known for like lacrosse and basketball and some other sports but not not as a football powerhouse that was like a school down the street was so like for me i was like i wanted that challenge to go someplace um you know go to a school where i could you know make a name for myself but also you know have some relative success and ultimately make it to the next level um so and I wasn't necessarily most athletically gifted. I was never that guy who, you know, I'm, I'm 5'10", uh, you know, 200 pounds uh, in high school, you know, not, now gained a little 40 pounds since then, but <laughs> <laughs> I was never that guy that, like, had the, me- the measurables, like, the metrics to, to stand out to coaches. So I was like, I have to turn myself into uh, a football, like, an athlete who they want to bring to their campus um so that meant for me like standing out in the classroom yeah. uh being the guy who knew the playbook showed some leadership skills and it it was a lot of hard work get the measurables up to, to to par um so did that was actually successful at that and senior year uh yeah man i, I had a girlfriend and and pu- pulled the brakes off a little bit too soon in terms of focus and yeah. you know uh it ended up with uh, a beautiful boy who's now now a nineteen year old man wow and um found out two days before I was supposed to report to 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 camp to fall camp uh, my freshman year so wow. you know about to literally about to take the step to you know an early life dream to play college football um and then find out boom life is like a major life event, so that was a pretty pretty tough time I think at the time it was transformative
0: yeah where Um, where were you reporting to
1: Falk at I went to Yale University so (laughs) uh, (laughs) it's it's not not the biggest uh in terms of division one but it's you know FCS level and got to play in I'm a big history history buff too so I got to play in one of the most historic stadiums you know every Saturday um In the Ivy League, which to me, I'm just like, man, that's a dream, right?
0: Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a huge deal, though. They're like, if you think about for context, right? Like, yeah, you're a football player, and you probably could have gone to other schools, you know, given that you got your measurables up to a particular place. But the thing that I find interesting that a lot, especially young black boys, you know, we just lose sight of this because we're so enamored by you know, pro athletes and some of the other stuff that's, you know, lacking um, due to due to systemic oppression in our community, we're like NBA, NFL, or bust. And I thought it's pretty insightful that you were able to use your abilities and your gifts to end up at Yale and go to school, right? Like, that's an interesting twist where a lot of people lose silence. They're like, they try to go to, you know, Michigan or they try to go to USC or they try to go to Alabama and if they don't get that offer then they're just like you know SOL they go to some small division two school in the middle of nowhere you know it's like it's just NFL or bust it's like well if the NFL was never your dream I think it's really brilliant that you use your abilities and your love of football to land you in one of the best universities on the planet.
1: I appreciate that. I, I don't know if it was as planned as, <laughs> as you're making it out to be, but it did work out quite well. No, I think, I think the way I thought about it was not, I had family members, uh, like cousins and stuff who were much better athletes, knew they were going pro and inevitably something happened like injury struck. Right. And they weren't prepared for life after that. Right. And you hear story after story that everyone's heard of those stories. No one thinks it's going to happen to them. Me, I'm looking at myself as someone who didn't, who wasn't as athletically gifted as them and knew that there's life after football. At some point, I just didn't want it to be, you know, before college. Right. So I think that influenced this, like just, just the schools I was looking at. So I did get some looks at like, at some, um, FBS programs at the time, like Division One A, uh, Pitt. Um, I was really trying to go to Stanford, but they weren't really on me like that because I went a five-star kid on the other side of the country.
0: Right. Um,
1: but it was mostly, you know, really great academic schools that had um, strong football programs as well. Um, yeah. And that's that's it was a nice blend, you know.
0: Okay. So now, so you're getting ready to report to fall camp at Yale University. Yep. Y'all the Bulldogs, right?
1: Yeah, Yeah. the the original Bulldogs. All
0: right. (laughs) Yeah, I knew you were going to have something to say. And then, boom, so you find out that this uh, young one's on the way. Um, And so then tell me about how did you end up being able to, like, navigate that situation, uh, go on to school, play ball, and complete school? Like, how how, how did that play out for you? Man, the, the short story is lots of prayer and resilience. The longer
1: story is uh, man that first year was incredibly tough uh, I think going to uh going to everyone has a um when you when you level up in life and 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 go to the next level whether it's school whether it's professional whether it's something whatever it is act, 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 athletically there's the always that well not always in most in many cases there is an adjustment period of like hey you know i'm, I'm not you know a- as as hot stuff as i thought i was right like everyone around you is just as gifted or talented um in that thing that you're doing as you if not better and to come to go into a place like Yale, you know, at the time was like number one school in the world and all these rankings i'm like man i'm, I'm here at this place and coming from public school I'm not, I don't have the same tools that some of these other kids have to be successful here. I'll layer that on top of, I'm now, you know, going through, uh, you know, just thinking about being a parent, right? Like, t- like I'm I'm in my first two semesters of school, of, of college, and I've got a pregnant girlfriend at home and I can't do anything about it, not putting food on the table. Like, did I make the right decision? what am I even doing here and not able to focus fully on being successful in square one, which is school, right. That should have been this, the, the focus just not, not, not able, not even emotionally in a place where I could be successful. So for me it was getting a gang of brothers who just could, could, could hold me, help me stand tall. Right. And it's right. funny because um, the same guys who I met in my incoming class, who, who played ball with me? Five brothers, right? Uh, right? All econ majors, and we still talk to this day. Right. Like we were on the phone last night, chopping up, talking about. We've talked, we've gone through so many life events, um, both positive and negative together. I would not have stayed at school if it weren't for them.
0: Wow, hands down, yeah. Yeah, it's, so I mean that's that's powerful, and it's an, it's interesting. Like what would have happened if you would have fell in with a different group of friends? You know what I
1: mean?
0: Thanks. Like, if, yeah, yeah. It's 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 interesting the way in which life works itself out. You know, um, and you and I are both men of faith, and so I think in 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 these particular particularly crucial moments, I think God takes little steps in to to be a part of that. You know, other people who are not of faith might consider it luck, but whatever you want to call it, it's kind of interesting. You're at this huge inflection point, and. In, you know this this community at school, five black dudes at Yale playing ball with you, all you econ majors, yep you know what i mean these 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 are stories that really don't don't get told um It's, it's kind of dope
1: Nah, and and, we, and we, it's funny because I think two of us came from pretty similar backgrounds, uh another two came from similar backgrounds, and only only one of us had what I would say a more fluent upbringing. I I would say my folks upper middle class. They there was another brother that's that came up, you know, grew up in the same area as I did, but and outside of the Washington D.C. and and uh, same same sort of deal. Like parents sacrificed a lot, put a lot of savings away, dipped into retirement money to send you to Yale, right? And then the other two two of us who, who um, came from less privileged backgrounds had to work their way through school. Um, you know uh, and 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 highly successful entrepreneurs i think it, it, entrepreneurs as well uh, because of that grit that, that they earned at a very early age to get them through situations that that i didn't have to face so it's just it's just really it was an interesting unique group of guys that right. that um i was blessed to just share not just four years of my life with but um every every shoot every waking moment you know going to school going to classes together going to lift together just and then spending free time just kicking it you know just talking about nothing in some cases sometimes talking about life uh what we want out of life so right awesome experience overall
0: yeah I mean, oh, I think it's a, oh go
1: ahead i'll add, add one thing none of us felt like we fit which is huh. which is crazy right like at it, it, some point in that first year each of us thought about leaving school and transferring for different reasons but none of us felt like we belong there i think that's that's why i was going earlier with the thought was there's a lot of things that people are dealing with in any environment especially when you level up in life and trying to be successful at something you just there's there may be a moment where you just don't feel like you belong that imposter syndrome and it's critical to have support networks that may come about organically in some cases you got to build them but it's critical to have those just to to, to, to tell you something positive when you aren't speaking positive things to yourself.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I respect it, man. That's, you know, um, I think the whole concept of fitting becomes interesting, especially for, you know, black folks in general, black men in particular, you know, which is going to be the focus of this, this podcast series is the journey of black men. This whole concept of fitting right and and how that intersects with one of the themes you just talked about like hustling and grit. Yep. I think that yep. oftentimes, you know not all black people are raised in the hood, but disproportionately we are. And and if we're not raised directly in the hood, we got kinfolk who are raised in the hood and there's this like celebration of the hustler. And I don't even look down on the hustle like i get why they hustle and the thing that i just wish more young brothers knew is the legal game is the same thing it's the same behaviors and traits it's just which side of the law are you going to apply your skills and your grit yeah right be- yeah. because cats who are starting business and are trying to climb the corporate ladder or whatever it may be whatever it is like you know i've I have buddies who are, who are musicians and artists. Um, as you're trying to make it as an artist, it's the same thing as trying to hustle. If you, you know, on the corner or whatever it is that you do for your illegal hustle, the same strategies and tactics you're deploying, you have to deploy them uh, in your career. It's just what tools are you going to use, right? Are you going to use your intellect? Are you going to use a network of friends and professional associates, or are you going to use a network of drug distributors or whatever it may be, whatever your hustle may be? So it's it's, a, it's, it's a, I think it's the same behaviors and skill set, just operating with different tools on different sides of the law. I I
1: couldn't agree more. I was sitting in my office the other day, just yesterday, just thinking about how how much effort I'm putting into trying to put together a deal in, in terms of trying to acquire business and there is no right answer. And I think that's such a disservice for people to think that, okay, if you do well in life, if you do these things, you go to these schools, you will have this life. And that is the right answer. When in reality, mo- many people look up after doing those things and, and ask themselves, what did I do this for? I'm not, I'm not as happy as I thought I would be. I thought right. this pathway, and now what do I do? And I was sitting working on a project and thinking to myself, no one's going to come and tell me that this idea I have, this thesis is the right one. Like I've mm-hmm. got to create the the, the the conviction around it. And if I have my facts together, if I know it in my heart and in my research and the data points to it, then I can go out and build a case and sell it. Like ultimately it's like, okay, we'll go hustle, sell it. Um, right so you're right it's 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 in everything so I think I think that's just something that young people they should know is the hustle doesn't stop
0: um, ever yeah yeah and so where, yeah wherever you're at in your journey wherever you're at in your career just be mindful of that so so you leveled up and made it to Yale you got up the curve academically athletically you know you played there and so now you graduate and you're you know you have a pretty prestigious diploma um to kind of take with you you have a world-class education to take with you and so then talk to us a little bit about what you did after Yale. like what were were your first steps professionally
1: yeah so I spent a lot of time I think chasing pathways that people expect you to to chase even though it was a half-hearted effort uh again you know Part of me wanted to just fit in and say, oh, I applied to this consulting firm and this investment bank, even though none of it really resonated with me. So obviously it didn't turn out to be successful in those endeavors. But what I ended up doing first job was going into business with one of my closest friends from school, one of my teammates, one of my brothers. And um, we, we started our own investment practice, uh, literally coming back to the D.C. area. And we felt, you know, a certain kind of way that and in a good way about the fact that our parents sacrificed so much for us to go to school where we went to school and dipped into their retirement savings to help pay for school. So we didn't have an outsized, um, we still had loans, right. But, um, we, we felt like it it was a a sacrifice that they didn't necessarily have to make. A lot of people don't have the resources to make it. We, we felt strongly that our community needed, um, you know, better financial tools and resources. Um, so we were gonna go back and work with uh, black professionals um, and, and getting their retirement savings together, getting their retirement accounts together for their teams, for their people, for their workers. Um, so that was our focus of our practice. We went to uh, the blackest county and the richest black county in the world, <laughs> Prince George's County, and literally knocked on doors of doctors' offices, dentists' offices, Um, people that we just grew up with in church and, um, you know, our day-to-day lives, neighbors and such, Um, and built a book of business in in about two and a half years. Uh, Okay. So what what
0: did you learn? What did you learn from building that book of business in that way too? You know, the biggest takeaway is sales.
1: Um, I I thought it was more of an analytical role. I thought I was going to be, you know, managing portfolios and looking at the markets and looking at, individual securities and having, you know, lunch meetings with (laughs) um, financial professionals, most of the day was going out and building trust with someone who had a precious resource that was earmarked for bills, rent, and then potentially, you know, you know, their children and, and retirement and getting them to trust you with, you know, something that was very precious to them. And meant a lot to them and the people behind them um, so we're 20, 21 22 years old with no gray hair talking to people who have been successful in their lives saying um, hey we have the time energy and intellect to 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 better your 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 retirement
0: <laughs> um, but thinking back on it, it's like
1: wow that takes some gall to go and do that but yeah,
0: yeah. Um, yeah it take some just, gang too right like you got to be able to it, use, use your mouthpiece <laughs> to do that bro it it
1: does right it, it really does I mean we're we're walking around in suits and ties thinking we're we're hot stuff for twenty two but um, yeah man I mean it, it does it really does take um, you learn how to sell yourself really quickly and really early on in a career and I, I couldn't be Happier that that was my first job um, because it just comes naturally. Picking up the phone and calling somebody, I've always been someone I'd rather just pick up the phone and call them and text or send an email because um, right. I just feel like I'm more effective in person.
0: Right, right. I dig it. I dig it. All right. So then you, you, you do this business you have with your mans for a minute. And then I know at some point, you know, you make your way out west. I think that is. So why don't you walk people through kind of The journey you know that took from getting you out of dc coming out west trying to find yourself
1: sure yeah yeah so uh built this book business spent about two and a half years in it realized it was only sales like saw the long game to it and saw the people who were most successful as financial representatives weren't actually that smart managing money they just could sell and they would routinely lose their clients money <laughs> but mm-hmm. they, their clients would still come back and it just what didn't resonate as a, a long term career path for me. And knew the, 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 the type of success uh, the path to success there was not not easy uh, but more importantly didn't necessarily I, I wouldn't be able to add more to the skill set beyond just being able to sell um, so um, in that time when we're building that in that first game my, my dad passed and um mm-hmm. uh, Two months later, I had a month later, uh, a very close family friend who worked with my dad um, at IBM passed away. Uh, maybe it was something like a week, a week or two weeks time. And then two months later, my uncle, who had a similar path to my father, just, you know, had to get out of Detroit, went to the armed forces, had a great career lived a good life in Los Angeles, he passed. So I'm dealing with three black men who died within the same six-month span, not even, um, Mm. as I'm just starting my career. And people who I looked up to um, and highly respected and loved. um, And I went out to my uncle's funeral. um, And I I just knew that um, I had to start making some moves. Like I just felt uneasy. It wasn't like it wasn't gonna come to me. I think I went out to that funeral and I have my cousin out there. I was hanging out with her and I'm like, man, this is the most fun I've ever had at a funeral before. And something clicked in me uh, on the flight back. Like I've got to start making decisions and creating the opportunity for myself. And if that means I want to move out, and live on the west coast and learn something new, like I want to figure out how to do it. Like I just want to. I just want to. Live in California and try something different. I just needed something. Different. Yep. Um, so I ended up finding a job with uh, at the time he was a he, he at the time I thought he was a, a leader of a small family office, uh, a wealthy guy and, and had an office in Beverly Hills and was uh, buying up, um, you know, old oil wells and, um, just making it profitable uh the reality is um this guy had uh done a lot of shady stuff but i didn't learn that until after working for him but i got a job as um basically lead leader of research and development for this small family office that worked in natural resources and had to learn a whole lot about um that the oil and gas industry in a very short period of time so that that was attractive to me just to learn something different Mm. like learn something tangible get in it get in any industry outside of financial services and just learn from scratch um so i did it took a job quit my job and left and went to california uh lived in in south la for a little under a year and um just uh away we went like trying to make a trying to make a new path in, in los angeles
0: right okay and then uh what what do you think you benefit from cuz it seems like there's this theme of like openness right like open to new experience you you don't let your fears hold you back like you're uncomfortable in undergrad but so what and you found a way to navigate through it instead of quitting you know you're uncomfortable in this new sales role right out of school but you find a way to try and talk you know well established pretty well off people to give you your money to manage then you go through, you know, this this intense period with, you know, uh three black men who are really big in your life passing away. You come out and you 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 get the sense that California is where you need to be and it's an opportunity for you. And you hop and you move out into that ambiguous situation. Like mm-hmm. what what is it about uh ambiguous what is it about you that allows you to navigate ambiguous situations? And what do you think is the benefit of throwing yourself in ambiguous situation?
1: Mm, I think it's just the, the idea of a challenge, that the idea of, I, I get excited, part of me gets excited by the unknown and having to solve a problem and create stability out of seeming, seeming chaos. But another part of me really likes stability. Like I don't, as I've grown up, I, I think I, as I've gotten older, I like to know, where I'm going to be in any in time. And I, I don't like change, but I I, <laughs> I, I think, I think what's exciting, especially in your twenties is this idea that you have so much time in front of you to create a successful career and it doesn't necessarily have to look like what other people are doing. Um, and for me, um, I, you know, I, I was never the kind of person who was like gonna go to New York and live in the big city. I wanted to 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 have sunshine and and um see see the stars I guess or um leap near some water and some palm trees and relaxed. Like I'm very very relaxed by nature, not I wouldn't consider myself as an a a type personality necessarily, but um I enjoy the idea that you can be successful and be relaxed and laid back. And, um, you know, create your own path in a place where that's accepted. I think that's maybe a difference between um, maybe it's just sort of the personalities on the coast. Right. I think there's just sort of a, uh, especially in D.C. where it's, um, you know, a lot of lobbyists and lawyers, and, um, you know, very high, high policy and regulatory, you know, um, sort of environment. And it's just a different atmosphere uh, uh, in L.A. And I think that that's what was exciting. That like, hey, you can do these new things and these people are starting this new studio. I think maybe it was a different type of entrepreneurship that I was seeking and um, just new ideas, new ways of thinking, new experiences.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think it's I think it's OK to admit, you know, like that, you know, California is better than everywhere. (laughs) I think that's all right. (laughs) We got to
1: make sure California stays on this stays attached to the, uh, to the continent. though.
0: Yeah. We, we'll be all right. all right. We'll be all right. So, all right. So now you, you end up leveling up from there again and you end up going to business school. Yeah. So whole new challenge. Tell me, tell me about that whole decision-making process and like to, to pursue it. And then what was it like? the work you had to put in to get there. Yep. Um, talk, talk us through that.
1: Yeah, so I, I think while I was in undergrad, I knew that folks who were who had certain levels of, of roles went to, uh, they got a terminal degree, right? Whether it was a PhD, MBA, something. And I knew that business school was along the path for me. I just didn't know when. Um, and I, I took a very non-traditional Career route, I would say, in in many cases, and like going out to LA and doing this thing, and um, I decided that I needed to try to pull together some structured story to tell as to why I was going to go to business school, um, and and I just had sort of needs I needed to meet, so living a commission based lifestyle was exciting at one point but then it was you know very unpredictable right so i just was like man i need i need to be able to save for school because i don't want i don't have the resource for somebody else to pay for me um i need to be able to provide to this child who is now at that time you know he's in elementary school getting ready to go to middle school and um i felt very strongly that i need to start putting down some foundational bricks that no one can take from if I go from sales role to sales role, yeah, I can sort of sell um, different things. All right, Maybe gain a base of knowledge, but um, it, you know, um, an MBA from the right school nobody can take from you, and you can always land someplace. For in my mind, you know, <laughs> six figures was the big number for me. Right. Right. Um, so I decided to come back to DC area where my family was. Um, my you know my, my 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 mom and sister and. Um, handful of friends obviously and um, was able to uh, land a, a job at the time in the middle of the great recession working at um, a large multinational law firm um, that was struggling with their clients trying to figure out how do we be profitable <laughs> how do we right. how do I talk to our clients how do we manage this situation so um, I knew that it, it was entrepreneurial in a way. It was still something that was very different. It wasn't a traditional pathway, but it was something that was more secure, more stable. I was needed. I brought some expertise to the table. Something a good exchange of value, I think, um, and um, they they ultimately wanted me to succeed in, in preparing myself for um, you know a, a business, uh, you know a foundational business education. Um, so I decided to go right. back to the scene and did that. Did that for about three years. Um, got into Michigan in 2011. Michigan Ross. Go blue. Go blue. Um, literally got the call that I was accepted on um, March 15th, uh, 2011. And my firm at the time, which was a half a billion dollar organization, shut that shut down shut its doors, which had I didn't think was possible, uh, March thirty first, twenty eleven, like sixteen wow. days after I got that acceptance. So the timing was perfect and it taught me I think it it, it confirmed for me some, some things I already believed that, you know, no corporate job is necessarily as safe as you think it is. Um mm-hmm. so I think it, it emboldened me to keep leaning into my entrepreneurial
0: nature. Gotcha. That's, I mean, going again. It's another, you know, you call it perfect timing, luck, providence. Don't know what it is, and, and um, you know. But there's, it's interesting way in which things just work themselves out. These inflection points, you know, in one's life, you know how they how they appear, and it's like, you know, what's the what's the old saying? Like preparation, or or excuse me, luck is when preparation meets opportunity, mm-hmm. right? If you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs, you know, then the law firm goes out of business, a half a billion dollar law firm goes out of business, you can't then, like, oh, I'm going to prepare to go to business school. You had been preparing to go to business school. Like, everything kind of staffed up the way it did. So, now, so you you, you go through the business school thing, you know, you get that, you know, top-notch education at Michigan Ross. Like, walk me through how you go from Michigan Ross to running your own private equity fund,
1: yeah, so i think in my essays, there was evidence in my essays from business school. I remember thinking about um a career in private equity, not even exactly knowing what that meant at the time, but knowing that um, I was entrepreneurial in nature. I didn't necessarily have a great startup idea. I didn't necessarily see myself as the most creative person in the world. Um, But I knew that ownership um, to me was very, very important. Um, Knew that I wanted to own something. I knew that equity ownership, basically, um, you call the shots. Um, And I think maybe that experience at the law firm told me that too. I just saw things that I didn't like and, But like I could have changed things if if I had a a stake in in decision making. Um, Ultimately, recruited while while at Michigan, um, at the time I was thinking, you know, maybe I would pivot to corporate finance, and you know, go work at (laughs) again, sort of the the tension between entrepreneurial and wanting stability. I was thinking maybe I'd go into a traditional pathway for a business education, which is uh, investment banking, consulting, or go to Fortune 500 and company and work in finance. And um, did an internship at uh, Dow Chemical. Loved the summer. It felt so familiar. Um, it felt like, um, you know, my, my dad's role. Great, great town, great, great company, great people. Um, lots of stability, ability to move and live internationally within the company. It, it, I think maybe it even scared me a little bit, but it just didn't feel right. I remember coming home after that summer expecting to go back to Dow, committing to go back to Dow, accepting the offer, and so that's what I was planning to be. Um, and two weeks before I was supposed to go up to Midland, Michigan, where, where Dow's headquarters, um, I I ended up telling my sponsor at the time, um, another black man who had basically his his, his sights set on being the CFO. Um, he was the global finance director for the large division at Dow Chemical at the time, and he looked out for me. And I had to admit to him that it just didn't work right. It couldn't have come right. Um, right. I had a son, and and couldn't couldn't upset him. But really, I just didn't feel right. Didn't feel like the right decision for my career. And so I went back into the legal um, services world. Uh, my old boss from my previous employer had recently got a, 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 a new opportunity and was building a team and wanted me to, to help be his right hand and building a brand new team. And did that with him for about a year at one firm. And we went to a new firm. Um, and did that all over again. So I, I really got to go back into an industry where I was very comfortable, knew, knew the ins and outs, but but at a different level where I could actually have a hand in decision-making and, and building a team from scratch, which I think was an awesome experience, just in management, like just for the first-time manager. Um, yeah. And loved it, enjoyed it, had a great team to work with, uh but again got a little bit um I would say I got a, a, a little bit uncomfortable with again the trajectory and what that meant for the long roll of my career. I felt like, you know, it's great to have this this level of autonomy. It's great to have this this the ability to to, to do the types of work I like to do. Um but ultimately where's the ownership? Like, where's the equity? And my efforts, do they align with, 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 my, with my interest? And right. um, I'll never forget this. I was, I was at my former business partner, Buddy, one of my best friends. I was at his birthday party. And um, it was a pretty big birthday. 35th birthday. And um, I got a call on a Saturday night at like 8 o'clock um, from a, a partner of the firm asking for some work and i said well you know i've done x y and z i've handed you know the project off to one of my analysts and assured him that the the project would be done on time and i got a response that he like very snarky it wasn't happy like as if i should be in the office working um on his Mm. on his project that didn't have a defined deadline instead of enjoying you know one of my loved ones birthday birthdays milestone birthdays, um and that for me just right. made the switch it was like if i can't it, it, and again this is a partner is an owner of the firm it, and it just came back to that point about ownership for me like i need to be in a place where right if i'm making the sacrifice, it's for me like i i it, and it's fine if i have to work on a saturday and miss a birthday party miss whatever it, it's not going to be for someone else's whims it's going to be because i made that decision it's ultimately going to benefit the people who i love um and ultimately Mm -hmm. sat on a path to to figure out how to do that so my wife and i sat down we were thinking about the time like she was making a transition from consulting she didn't know what she wanted to do after that we thought about a couple different business ideas and starting something and we didn't see eye to eye on that and i said why don't we just go buy something and see if we can run it better than the previous owners and that sent me on a path to, to discovering the search fund community, which is a great community um, to allow folks to do that. So to, to allow young, right. ambitious managers to out and acquire business for themselves and create value.
0: See, yeah, so interesting, like montage that we just like walk through, right? Like it, is, it starts with like having a code and knowing when those moments are, mm-hmm. right? So you had. Going back to Dow, you had this mentor who kind of helped steward you through. You could have had a very lush, comfortable, stable direct deposit career, you know, working with Dow with almost limitless upside uh, from a promotion and earning standpoint. But then it really didn't fit your coach. You wanted to be near your son, and that wasn't really the the way you wanted stability. You want stability, but not through going and sitting at the same job in the same you know, uniform, the way you called it at the beginning of this conversation every day. So you make this move, you go back to D.C., and you, you're you having a say in in more right. of a say in your career, but you're still not ultimately an owner. And one of the things that I find interesting, I think one of the ways in which um, careers get stunted for Black men is in the gray space, mm-hmm. right? It's in these situations where you're out at a barbecue like anyone who works, you know, whether it's consulting, banking, law, like you have partners who are demanding and they ask for things that um at unreasonable hours and you have to work on weekends or late nights, people have to get up and leave from day on a regular basis. But it's it's something it's something different when it's like a uh undefined timeline, like you said. Like the project the issue that he was trying to resolve, there wasn't a timeline, it wasn't needed urgently. It wasn't like trial was Monday morning and I needed this thing for trial. It wasn't uh, a situation where the project was in a bad place. You had gotten into a great place and passed it off to an analyst. It was just a, I want you to stand on your left foot. You know what I mean? Like like that coming to America moment. Bark like a dog. <laughs> a big dog. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like... no, we, You laugh about so, it. That's
1: exactly right. Yeah, it just felt like he wanted to in many cases, it seemed to me as though he felt like he had worked so hard and didn't have the ability to to make puppets dance, except for in those moments. So it was like, let me just let me just power flex on this dude.
0: Yeah, right, right. Which is which becomes you know really interesting for us yeah. too. Like we don't one we don't come from a culture of you know taking that, but then two, I feel like uh, from from what I've experienced, what I've seen throughout my career, I feel like we get put in those situations um, more often and we're required to sacrifice more of our dignity. And, you know, some 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 people take it. Some people say, screw that and I'm going to figure out some other way to hustle um, and continue to, and just basically turn it into another obstacle to overcome. Yeah. Um, that's awesome, man. And so then lastly, you said, you know, raise a search fund. Like I, I learned about a search fund, You know, when those of you listening, if you don't know, um, BJ and I, we actually went to business school together. And so I learned of a search fund when I was in business school. And I thought that was the craziest thing I'd ever heard of. Make it really, really simple. Like what a search fund is like the
1: 32nd version of it. Sure. All right. So a search fund is basically a group of investors who trust you, trust your ability to go out and buy a small family owned founder owned business create, you know, negotiate a price to acquire that business and then go out and run it. So if you don't have the money to go buy a business and operate it yourself, you go get some investors, they'll back you, you acquire the business, run it, and you all share in the ownership.
0: Right. So think about that. So as as a Black man, you have developed so much knowledge and expertise and a bunch of people with really deep pocketbooks were like, we're investing in your intellect and your ability to lead
1: yeah it's it's, it's kind of wild to, to when you say it when you put it that way um uh, because like you I, I had not heard of it i heard about it in business school thought it was crazy didn't didn't make sense for someone to effectively pay me a salary to not quote unquote have a job outside of looking for a business to acquire um but the reality is um it's a huge industry that people are doing all the time. It's just search funds. We do it at a, a much lower level and I think create value in a way that most investors don't, um, we're not on the sidelines. Yeah. We're in, like I'm literally on site in the business every day.
0: Yeah. The thing that I just find so compelling about that personally is, you know, I always did well in school. Um, and you know, I got, I got grind and grit, and I have, you know, pretty decent EQ. I can read rooms and situations and this goes all the way back to when I was young, just kind of growing up, you know, where I grew up. But there were folks who were at a minimum as smart as me. And several I, I know particular, were smarter than I was. But, you know, their life circumstances were just slightly different. Growing up in the exact same neighborhood, you know, you know I was dirt poor. They were dirt poor and they just made other decisions, and decided to, you know, start hustling. Now, what I think about is if those individuals would have had the slightly different circumstances where they could have gone and invested themselves and just learned and educated themselves and played the long game, and then be in a situation where you take somebody who can take $100 and within a couple of weeks turn that $100 into, into 10 Gs. I've literally seen that done before. Someone take a hundred dollars, and that's all they got to their name, and two weeks later, it's ten Gs. Imagine if you gave that person the search fund, what they could do with that yep. intellect yep. Um, and hustle and grit. So, yeah, it's it's interesting the way in which you know uh, life plays out and lessons that um, you can extract from other people who have actually proven. The the stereotype wrong like you as a black man blazing your own trail is not the only way you can make it. Is to become some step and fetch it and you know sit in somebody's office like you've kind of used these situations to move your career where you wanted to move it to. Um, and so now I wanted to I want to flow into um, the last few questions. This is how I'm going to wrap up every single one of these episodes, just for people to get some perspective from. Really accomplished brothers who have, you know, have their own unique journey. So I have, I have four questions for you. So tell me about that that moment, that quintessential like Michelle Obama moment, where when they go low, you go high. What what was what? Give give us one of those moments oh, from your life. Man.
1: Um, okay, uh, there's a lot of them that come up. So I, I I would say at one of my um, let me be. Let me thoughtful about which one I want to talk about. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So I I think that time in L.A. I you know I I mentioned I I found out it wasn't what it was. What ended up happening was that my boss uh, portrayed himself to be uh, someone who he wasn't, with a lot more wealth than he actually had. Um, he was basically ripping people off left and right, writing bad checks. Um, and um, I, it took me a good, I want to say six months to figure out that, you know, like, what was off. I think I knew after about a month, some, after some internal investigation, uh, I discovered he didn't have the assets he, he really had. Uh, and frankly, people came to me and said, hey, uh, you know, BJ, we're not getting what you, what you promised us. And that, that hurt me in a certain way. If I'm out there representing the company saying that we're going to do something and someone goes behind yeah. me and uh, undoes my work, I had a problem with that. So I confronted him, asked him just some questions, and basically he chewed me off and said, it's going to be all right. Um, but I had I did, I had some hard information. I went to banks that he banked with, talked to some people in the industry, and actually talked to um, a business quote-unquote partner of ours who had retained uh, an attorney and was getting ready to sue him. And I just said, well, I can tell you what I know. Um, I'm not going to tow the company line here and and just defend him, but I'm certainly not going to put myself in a situation where I can, um, you know, get into sort of legal trouble here. So I decided that I was going to separate myself. Now, that was exacerbated by Ultimately my boss bounted the check to me and that that was like towards the end of things I already made a decision to leave, but I basically had to hang out at, at Wells Fargo and work with the uh, the one of the well the bankers there and basically said to her, Hey, like, look, tell me when Mark has the money and the account enough to, to, to run payroll to, to pay me on this check. Um and it was great. I was very grateful for her ability to do that and got my pay and left town and separated myself from the company that I was at and ultimately testified against him or did an interview, actually, um, and found out that it was like a sting operation that actually took apart, um, you know, a lot of his work, uh, his fraudulent work in his home and in a prior business, that much longer after I left. So um I will say that many people said came to me after that, like my sister said to me like, Man, you you're you're twenty four, you've got a child, you move across the country to work for some guy and they don't and he doesn't pay you. Like it took a lot of restraint for you to not go up in his office with a bat. I'm like, Yeah, you know, I thought about a lot of things. Um but, you know, I knew like I just had to protect myself. So I I I, I, I like I said, I just I had to had to make sure I had all the resources I could have gotten from the situation mm-hmm. left, and had a well. I will say I, I had an awesome story to tell. Yep. Um, in any interview, especially in business school, about my first lesson in professional ethics because that was that was a tough one.
0: Yeah, yeah. So have, have a code, right, and play the long game because you know we always want to like you know culturally, and I get exactly why, you know, we always want to put pause on somebody. And, you know, I'm not saying that that's never appropriate, but in a lot of instances, you know, all that's going to do is end up with you now in the legal system. And you you sat there and you used your brain and uh, you thought through a different dynamic. All right. What's, what's your definition of success? Um, your specific definition of success?
1: Having the time to do the things that I want to do what I want to do, it, um, whether it's, you know, taking a, a spending mm. a Tuesday at 10 o'clock. Well, now it's, it's, it's easy to do, but spending a Tuesday at 10 o'clock in the morning, um, you know, going to my son's school or, you know, planning a trip with my wife, just, just, just cause not cause it's a special occasion, but just, just doing it. So I think for me, it's, it's just having the freedom. Um, and the resources to be able to do what makes not just my me and my family happy, but also fulfills what I think God put me on this earth to do.
0: Right, right. Uh, Describe is- your journey in one word. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Speak on it. All right, last question. Yeah, and actually, before I get to the last question, you know, I'd heard, this is not research I've done, but I had heard from someone who was in the middle of doing their PhD research. This actually when we were at Michigan. Um, and they had said that the number one determining factor in someone's success is resilience. Now, there are other factors that contribute, like what is your starting point, et cetera, et cetera. But if you don't have resilience you will not be successful as black folks and black men in particular we have to be even more resilient right because there's yep. we're, we're getting tested kind of everywhere we go sometimes it's by other black men you know in very negative ways um but we you know if you're going to play the long game you're, you're going to have to be resilient last question what do you love most about being a black man you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's not an easy journey. You know, at least not the past, you know, five hundred years or so. It's been a pr- pretty tough, you know, pretty tough road to walk. But there's a lot of beautiful things yeah, in it as I, well. I, I think you we as an individual, least, what do you love the most about um, being a black man? Come
1: up a few times as I think back over my experiences. It's just the the loyalty um, that we have toward each other. I think, like you said, it's it's not always. The case, right? There's always the people who you know think of you differently or cross you, but I think there have been just time after time where I have been in different situations, difficult situations, where um, no one has had my back, like my closest, my closest friends and peers, who look like me, who understand what I've been through, um, and may even have disagreed with the choices I was making. Um, or had made, but still, um, no one else had my back. My boys had my back.
0: That's what's up. You know, speaking of having uh, each other's back, I really appreciate you taking the time and, you know, willing to hop on, you know, the Bootstraps podcast. Um, it means a lot, man. And, Hopefully, you know those of you out here who uh, listened through BJ's amazing story and understood, you know, how you know this brother from DC, raised in a military family, wanted to find his own way. You know, and then was trying to make it through college football and didn't have all of the measurables and what he needed to to do to to be the college football player he had always dreamed of. Still found a way to make it into college, not just any college, to Yale be a college football player. Just before fall camp, he finds out, you know, his first son is coming and he's like, Whoa, he's gone through all of these ups and downs. And ultimately he had the resiliency to keep walking. And now he's, you know, the managing principal of his own private equity firm as a black man, living according to his code, man. And you being willing to hop on here and um, share your story with us. Um I appreciate it. means it means a lot to me I, and I hope I, hopefully it means I, a a lot to the folks who get to listen to this. this. Let
1: me tell the story.